Hello everybody and welcome into episode number 247 of the Bible 2021 podcast. We are reading 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and our focus today is on how to fight spiritual battles, Paul's method of spiritual warfare. So we're back in the New Testament today and we are going to talk about a somewhat controversial topic spiritual warfare. Right before we do, I do want to point you to our website, Bible2021.com. You can contact us there with a question or idea or suggestion, as well as each episode has its own transcript page, and you can find anything you might have missed on the episode. That is Bible2021.com. So spiritual warfare. This was all the rage in Christendom in the 90s. Uh, the time that Frank Peretti released his best-selling book called This Present Darkness, which I personally love. Today, we're going to talk about spiritual warfare too, but probably not in exactly the way that you might think. Often when Christians talk about spiritual warfare, if they do, I recognize that there are some denominations and branches of Christians that uh, just kind of ignore the topic altogether. But the Christians that do talk about spiritual warfare, when they talk about it, and they quote from 2 Corinthians 10, our passage today, their target usually is demons, evil spirits, principalities, that sort of thing. They have a very spiritual view of spiritual warfare, which makes a lot of sense. But a close view of the passage today seems to indicate that Paul, at least in 2 Corinthians 10, isn't talking about battling with spiritual forces at all, at least not on the surface. For instance, verses 3 through 6 says, Though we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ, and we are ready to punish any disobedience once your obedience is complete. So demolishing arguments, so taking every thought captive to obey Christ once your obedience is complete. All three of those phrases seem to indicate that Paul is talking about something relative to human opponents, very likely human false teachers or false apostles, since that is exactly what the first half of our next chapter is all about. And there's no indication of a, sw of a shift or a change or transition between the last part of chapter 10 and the beginning of chapter 11, remembering that that chapter and verses are a later addition to the Bible. When Paul originally wrote his letter, he didn't divide it up into chapters and verses. So Paul appears to be struggling with human opponents here, but he says the way of struggle is not fleshly. It's not according to the normal way that human beings wage war or arguments or whatever. That is with words and sticks and stones and insults. But he's talking about a different way. What is that different way? Well, let's go to our old friend Charles Spurgeon to help us understand this different way. And oh yeah, one quick word on the King's English. The word carnal means fleshly, and the adjective fleshly simply means like the human nature. The Word of God teaches us that our human instincts and our desires, the human nature, etc., we're hopelessly corrupted by the fall. And therefore, we cannot always trust our wants and desires and emotional impulses and reactions because our human slash carnal slash fleshly nature and attitude is suspect at best. So here's Spurgeon to help us understand all of that. He says, 
This chapter of 2 Corinthians presents the remarkable specter of a minister of the gospel of peace going forth to war. At first sight, we wonder how the meek and gentle Paul should speak about warring and talk about pulling down strongholds and having a readiness to revenge all disobedience. The surprise is all the greater because he is going to war in the church, a shepherd entering the sheepfold with a sword. One would not so much marvel that he carried his weapons against the outside world, but on this occasion it is within the church at Corinth that he is about to commence a campaign. But observe how earnestly he deprecates the conflict, how he beseeches them by the meekness and gentleness of Christ to spare him a task which was so unpleasant to his feelings as to deal sternly with those whom he would far rather have commended. But the wonder ceases when we find that the shepherd fights only with grievous wolves, and even in that conflict declares, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Note, moreover, that his weapons are of a peculiar kind. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. He's not about to assault his antagonists in the church, wolves, with bitter words of railing, such as they used against himself. He's not about to meet the philosophers with such philosophies and sophisms as those which they assailed the gospel. Neither is he coming forth with any kind of temporal weapons or swords or whatever to inflict any sort of injury upon the leaders in error. His weapons are of a different sort. They are not carnal, but spiritual. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, yet the spiritual weapons which can be wielded by the Christian minister, and indeed by every Christian, are not to be despised, for while they are not fleshly, they are mighty through God. God is in them. God is with those who use them. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, the arrows of truth which pierce the consciences of men, the weapon of all prayer, the influence of the Holy Ghost, that divine power, such weapons as these are by God's power made mighty to the overthrow of spiritual principalities, strongholds, and powers. Truth and holiness are the appointed engines for the pulling down of the castles of evil. Blessed is he who in every conflict for God takes heed to use none other weapons than those which the Lord has hung up in the tower of David, builded for an armory, wherein do hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. Those only can fight the Lord's battle successfully, who come to him to be armed for the fight and reject all human and fleshly force and weapons. The spiritual will be victorious but others must fail. Amen to that, Brother Spurgeon. So very often, spiritual warfare might not so much be battling demons and principalities and evil, unclean spirits, but engaging those who oppose us with the fruit of the Spirit and the character of Jesus and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, rather than the insult, sarcasm, anger, and violence of humans. Well, let's read our passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Now I, Paul, myself, appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble among you in person, but bold toward you when absent, I beg you that when I am present, I will not need to be bold with the confidence by which I plan to challenge certain people who think we are living according to the flesh. For though we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought 
captive to obey Christ, and we are ready to punish any disobedience once your obedience is complete. Look at what is obvious. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, let him remind himself of this. Just as he belongs to Christ, so do we. For if I boast a little bit too much about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for tearing you down, I will not be put to shame. I don't want to seem as though I am trying to terrify you with my letters, for it is said his letters are weighty and powerful, but his physical presence is weak, and his public speaking amounts to nothing. Let such a person consider this, what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will also be in our actions when we are present. For we don't dare classify or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves, but in measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves to themselves, they lack understanding." We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but according to the measure of the area of ministry that God has assigned to us, which reaches even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as as if we had not reached you, since we have come to you with the gospel of Christ. We are not boasting beyond measure about other people's labors. On the contrary, we have the hope that as your faith increases, our area of ministry will be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel to the regions beyond you, without boasting about what has already been done in someone else's area of ministry. So let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one commending himself who is approved, but the one the Lord commends. Amen. Well, let's close out with our Bible passage for the month of September for us to memorize. It is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Amen. May the word of God equip you, dear friends, for every good work. Good day to you and Godspeed.